Welcome to your headquarters for knowledge and helpful advice on a variety of topics, all from trusted experts in their fields. It's time for River City Podcast. Welcome to River City Podcast, Dr. Dan. Thank you for having me. A lot of people, when I bring you up, are curious how this type of practice works and why somebody of your stature would leave a medical organization to do this on your own. So tell us a little bit first, I guess, about why you do this kind of practice. That's kind of gets at the heart of direct primary care, and which is probably something I should back up a little bit. I mean, you introduced me, of course, as being a direct primary care physician, but a lot of people are going to go, what the heck is that? And with good reason, because while there are growing numbers of us, most people have probably never heard of it. So it's essentially just a physician who is basically contracting directly with their patients on a periodic basis. In my case, it's a monthly membership fee. And that is usually the only cost involved. So if they need to see me multiple times in the month, if they need to call me, if they need to contact me by email, whatever it is they need to do, they can get a hold of me. So the reason why we do that kind of a practice, and I say we as the other direct primary care physicians in the country, is because we've gotten to kind of a crisis point with primary health care. And this is one way of sort of reclaiming medicine from what it has become. And the simple reason of the why is to have more time to actually do what I was trained to do. In a typical practice, we usually see an average of about seven minutes per patient encounter, and that's face-to-face time with the physician. And that's average. So a lot of encounters are a little bit longer. And as a result, there are some which are just a few minutes in length. And that's not enough time to really fully get comfortable in a room with somebody, let alone to talk to them about something that's important to fully describe what's going on. So the typical encounter that you'd have at a physician's office is either going to be rushed or is just going to be essentially cut off kind of in the middle. That is a long story, but it's kind of an important one that I think a lot of people don't fully understand. So I kind of have to back up and go all the way back to why I got involved in this in the first place. And I got involved in this when basically I started working for a physician, Alan Dappen, whose practice is Doc Talker Family Medicine. He's up in Vienna, Virginia, which is where I'm from. He was in a large private family medicine practice in the 90s, and he'd been there for about 10 years and had gradually seen the focus of the clinical meetings between the physicians go from talking about complicated patients or new methods of treatment or new research to basically talking about how they could crank out insurance codes faster because that was going to determine the profitability of the practice and the survivability of the practice. That's because in the traditional model, which we still basically have, the physician is walking into the room with this mental checklist of, okay, I have to get this information uh, about why the patient is here. I have to find out whether they're smoking. I have to ask them if they're having fevers or chills or cough, or and it may not have anything to do with why the person is there. Or And then I need to listen to their heart and lungs and then write them a prescription or have some other way of medically managing them that's complicated enough to justify a billing code for 
an insurance company. A lot of patients, and in fact, I think most patients don't realize that that's always in the back of their physician's mind. Sometimes it's in the forefront, depending on the physician. If they spend two minutes with you and get all that information and get out of the room, they, as far as financially, are going to get the same compensation, whether they spent two minutes in the room with you getting that information or 30 minutes in the room with you or an hour in the room getting that information. So the financial imperative, the business side of medicine is always Get in and get out as fast as you can. That's why you see doctor's offices designed the way they are, where you've got multiple exam rooms with flags out there. So the doctor can see a flag out means go into this room. They grab the chart off the wall. They run in the room. They go through things as quickly as they can. They come out. They jot down a few notes, and then they jump into the next one because that's the efficiency that this kind of system creates. Unfortunately, it's kind of the opposite of what the patient-doctor relationship is supposed to be about. My old boss, Dr. Dappen, was in his practice for about 10 years, and he was a managing partner. He's very financially successful, but he couldn't take it anymore. And this is the case for a lot of physicians. And they say, I'm completely burned out. I don't get to spend any time with my patients. And when I do, I'm always getting pressure from my office managers or sometimes my fellow partners in the practice that I'm not bringing enough as much as I should be. He said, I'm quitting this and I'm doing something else. So he left and started his own practice where he basically said, look, if you're going to see me, you're going to pay me like you'd pay a lawyer. You see me for five minutes, I'm going to see you for five minutes. And what that did was removing himself from that checklist meant he also didn't have to play by the same rules. So if a patient called him on the phone, patient calls are a traditional office on the phone, you're never going to get the doctor on the phone. Never. You can't. It's impossible. And the reason is, is because insurance companies do not compensate for telemedicine. Because of that, you will never get the physician on the phone. You'll get a receptionist. They might get sent to a nurse. That nurse will then potentially, you know, get a message to the physician. The physician will say something real quick so they can get back to what it is that they're there to do, which is generate insurance codes. Because he freed himself up from that, he was able to say, okay, look, I can see people at home. I can make house calls again. I can correspond with people over email if they prefer, and I can see them in the office, and I'll just charge them for time. And it eliminated all these barriers to care. So he's been doing that for about 20 years. He's made a lot less money than he would have if he'd stayed there, but his professional and personal satisfaction is just tremendous because he's getting back to the therapeutic relationship. I was brought in for a few years when he basically had started the practice for years and needed somebody to just do things around the office. He didn't have a traditional doctor's office, so a traditional office manager wasn't going to be much help. He didn't need a billing specialist. He didn't need all these other people that you have. It was just work creating this thing on the fly. I need somebody who can fix problems for me, who can manage my medical record system, who can figure out how to solve problems for me with files, with vaccinations, with all these other things. What I got to see there was the power of this model. First of all, I got to see what he was dealing with in the old system and how people would come in to see him and see the enormous difference it made and how grateful that they were going back to basically, especially for the older patients, 
what they remembered from when they were young, which is the physician that was part of the community and you could get easy access to them. You call them on the phone, they come to your house, whatever. That inspired me to go back to school, to become a physician, and then to eventually start my own practice, which is what I did. And part of my training was to go through in medical school, in residency, then when I was working at urgent care, this, which actually ended up being more primary care, which kind of goes toward how bad things have gotten, that it's so hard now to get in with your primary care physician, even if you have one, that a lot of times people will just go to an urgent care to get that taken care of, which is far from ideal. But I was always being told, you know, you're not going fast enough. You need to be more efficient with your time. There are a lot of things in primary care you can't just do more efficiently. If I have somebody who comes in and says, you know, I want to kill myself, you can't handle that in seven minutes. It's impossible. What was frustrating was we were trained in so many different aspects in both medical school and in, in family medicine residency, we had so much training that we were essentially expected to never use. I was trained to do casting. I was trained to do minor surgical procedures. I was trained to do cognitive behavioral therapy. I was trained to training for ADHD, all these other things. And what I was seeing as I was going into private practice was I, my expectation would be I would just refer people to other people to do that because it meant then I could get to the next room. And that was not going to be acceptable to me. That's why I started this practice. I would think there would be a lot of patients that would have undiagnosed issues when a doctor is coming in and doing the checklist and in there for two minutes, seven minutes. I would think that it would be impossible to solve what was really Really going on with them with that little time. That gets also to the heart of being you know, family medicine trained. I mean, really, your specialty is preventative medicine and then being a diagnostician, kind of like an emergency medicine physician. You're the doctor who should be able to figure out, maybe not fixing the problem, but at least being able to figure out what it is. And a lot of times you don't spend nearly enough time in the room with the patient to get a reasonable idea of what's going on. So you'll get somebody coming in with leg pain and saying, oh, okay, they've got arthritis, they need to go to physical therapy and I'll refer them to orthopedic physician for a knee replacement if they need it. Well, if you're sitting there with the patient, you're talking with them and you're performing a careful physical exam, what you might find is that they're describing a problem called claudication, which is because of insufficient blood flow to the legs, which is handled by a totally different specialty. That person needs to see a vascular surgeon. And then, of course, they may need a lot of other help because it may turn out they're, they have undiagnosed diabetes. They may have a problem with high blood pressure. They may have some other rare issue going on. And if you're not spending the time with people, if you're just trying to say, oh, okay, this problem, this specialist, go here, do this. Or you've got this pain, okay, take this medicine, come back if it doesn't help. And that's become the norm. It's interesting you brought up leg as an example because my aunt was diagnosed many, many years ago with Lou Gehrig's disease and she, it started out with her leg. I remember how long it took to get that diagnosis and how many doctors she had to see. If she was seeing a physician like you that knew her well and knew her history, it probably wouldn't have been as difficult to get to the end of what was really going on. That was the hardest part was just the relentless doctor's visits and nobody being able to figure it out and nobody having a real relationship with her to to understand how not normal this was for her. Okay, well, let's talk about the ideal patient. Really, for me, the ideal patient is anyone of any age who wants a 
long-term relationship with a physician or that their guardian or their parents think needs a long-term relationship with a dedicated physician. I trained to deliver babies, which unfortunately, due to basically the way our system is structured, I unfortunately can't make feasible at this time. I wish I could. I miss it. But I can see infants all the way up through people who are terminally ill to very advanced age. I enjoy people who are complex. I enjoy people with a lot of issues because they're usually the ones who need somebody who can spend a lot of time and who can really get to to all of the different things going on, all of the different moving pieces. And I think that's hard to peg down a single person. Usually they tell you in business, which I didn't have any experience till I started this practice, defining your ideal customer. Well, it's really hard to do that. And what I've come to conclude is, is it's, I don't really have one. If you need a doctor, you're my ideal patient. Why would a person want to join your practice? Anybody who has had a bad experience with primary care physician is usually going to see a lot of value in having somebody they can not just contact for longer visits. So for example, I mentioned how short visits are seven minutes average. Mine are usually 30 to 60 minutes. My new patient intake visits are 90 minutes. The other advantage is I can see you multiple, multiple times and we can do follow-up calls, all those other things. It's so radically different from a traditional interaction you have that when a person experiences that, it's almost a no-brainer for them to see, wow, this is like I can have a conversation with a human being now, as opposed to I have to go all through all these barriers to get to see this person for just a few minutes. If you're somebody who is, you know, in their 20s and 30s and you never have to see a doctor and, you know, you're never had to visit urgent care or anything like that, I could see people saying compellingly, I don't think this is worth it for me. I'd say, yeah, for just about anybody else and including some of those people who are my patients, they see a tremendous value in it because we've removed the barriers to access to the physician. One of the questions that people ask me every time I talk about ResMed is about the insurance piece. That's always the thing that we're almost programmed to talk about whenever you start talking about a physician. If you hear your friend say, oh, this doctor is great. The first thing the person is going to ask is, well, what insurance do they take? And for people to hear that I don't take any insurance is usually a non-starter because they see at first glance, they're like, oh, I can't possibly you know, you don't take my insurance, that means I can't go see you. The reason that I don't take insurance is because if I did, I'd basically be doing the same kind of practice that everyone else is doing. Between co-pays that people often have to pay, especially if they've ever visit to the emergency room, just the copay for that is usually more than most people are going to spend in a year. It depends on the plan. In terms of the cost savings, they're going to be not spending that much more going with me. In fact, in a lot of cases, I may save them money just because they're using me doesn't mean their insurance ceases to function, especially most people's plans are not going to limit them in the doctors they choose to go see. If I write an order for a medication or for a, a laboratory study or for an imaging study, all of that is still handled through insurance. And it's not like they're abandoning the insurance system when they come to me. In fact, for my patients that don't have insurance, I spend a lot of time 
time trying to convince them to get some kind of catastrophic insurance. Because while I can do a lot, I can't do much. You know, if they get in a car accident or they fall and break their leg and I can't set it, they're going to need to see that's catastrophic accident. The same reason why you would have auto insurance to cover it if you get in a car wreck, but you're not going to use the auto insurance to pay for oil changes or for your gasoline because you're just going to end up paying more in the long run if you're doing it that way. That's a great example. Well, I know that uh, our children love you, Dr. Dan, and my oldest daughter, who has recently been seeing you, doesn't like everybody that easily. And she adores you. So that should be on the top of your website. By the way, if you're trying to find Dr. Dan and learn a little bit more, you can go to revmedrva.com. That's R-E-V-M-E-D-R-V-A.com and set up a consultation with Dr. Dan and learn even more about all the amazing things he's doing. And thanks for being here. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to River City Podcasts. If you're interested in setting up a podcast for your business, go to rivercityconsulting.com 